Oh, sorry, kids. I just I, I got I got stuck getting out of my apartment complex today. There's just the the gate didn't open, and 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 somehow someone blew marijuana smoke into my car when I was That'll trying to happen. open the gate. That's why I was late, and that's what's happening. Okay. Please, uh, thank you so much for staying in your seats. I know Mr. O'Brien is not here, the usual teacher. It is I, the substitute, here to welcome you and the greater internet to season 178, episode 3 of The Daily Zeitgeist. It's the production yeah. of iHeartRadio. And you know, it's the podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness, good or bad. This one has a tinges of good and bad. You know, it's a little more balanced today. And you know what? It, <laughs> Things yeah. that start good and then get bad. <laughs> it is Wednesday, March 31st, 2021. My name is Miles Gray, a.k.a. Junk food for munchies because I'm Miles G. And I host the DDZ. Oh, and that is from Grand Rapidian Willie. Shout out to Grand Rapids, Michigan and Rockwell, who it was Barry Gordy's son. And that's why he had a career because his dad was running Motown. <laughs> But, hey, that's how you also get Michael Jackson to do the backing vocal. You're like, How, how'd you do that? It's Barry Gordy's son. And aside from the little music history note, I am thrilled to welcome my co-host, the one and only, uh, the genius herself, the little Zamboni herself. Please welcome Jamie Loftus. Hi, everyone. I'm going to be your TA today. Uh, try If you have any concerns about Mr. Gray, you can report them directly to me. I know we've received complaints in the past. Hey, don't all raise your they hands. They will be dealt with swiftly. Tony, looking at you. <laughs> I, got a, I got an AKA. Okay. Oh, yeah. It was like lightning. Everybody was fighting. The cantina was soothing. The resistance started moving. First order in the back said, everyone attacks, so they turned to Babu Frick. Babu Frick. (laughs) (laughs) Babu Frick. It's a long way to get there, but you know, we got there. That's from Ed. (laughs) That's so good. I'm so happy. Uh, That's from uh, D. Elise. Thank you so much. Uh, I've changed. Right, Babu Frick doesn't get enough love. It was, if it, it, it warmed my heart. I don't know how else you work the auxiliary character of Babu Frick from the latter day uh, Star Wars films into a mm-hmm. rhyme that is so suitable, like ballroom blitz, and it. You know what? It's hats inspired. off. It's yeah, brilliant. One hundred percent. It's brilliant. Student um, well, of the month. Well, we are joined by someone who's quite possibly even more brilliant. Someone who's been in this podcasting game, I mean, like, we're talking OGs, okay? This is somebody who co-created Stuff Mom Never Told You, okay? This is somebody who you might know probably from, you know, founding Unladylike Media, having the podcast Unladylike, or you might just know her as Kristen, which I know her as more than that. Kristen Conger, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming by. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, do you have an AKA? Putting you oh, on the spot. Oh, an AKA? Go. Okay. Uh, my name is Kristen Conger, AKA I listen to too many podcasts and <laughs> I don't have a music reference off the top of my head because I listen to people talk all day. Ooh. Do you think you listen to more podcasts gorgeous. than music? Yeah. I don't think I know. And it is sad. Wow. Problem. Yeah. 
It's like, I wonder okay. how I want. I I bet that you're like very much not alone there. I just and, and people just aren't talking about it right. <laughs> because <laughs> right. it's it's not healthy. <laughs> the, the rising like, menace I, of the podcast. <laughs> I knew. <laughs> I knew it was a problem when I like randomly just like I was like, hey, you know what? I guess I'll listen to music today, and I could like feel my brain like dopamine like shooting off in my brain of like oh my god what is this new sound <laughs> it's like humans talking but to melody holy shit i do oh, yeah you, it. It, you do reach a point with like listening to podcasts even if you're listening to like all amazing ones where you're just like your brain starts to die of like takes poisoning like you're just yeah yeah that's why i also have to switch to like comedy where it's absolute absurdity and it's not something i'm like seeking nourishment from yeah, yeah, when you get take yeah. nourishment, you can get some take podcasts are just medicine. Like I'll get like sometimes <laughs> like when a one. podcast that is just silly all of a sudden is serious for a day, I'm like, oh, uh, uh, <clears throat> what? Go back to roller coasters. What? <laughs> <laughs> I use oh, you man. as my escape. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, well, Kristen, we're going to get to know you uh, very well when, when we get your takes on some of these things. But first, I want to give the listeners a preview of what we're talking about. And I say, you know, this is kind of a balanced episode. This is There's a little bit of light in some of the stories we're talking about. For example, hmm. the Coke boys, the Coke brothers, they're they're freaking the fuck out a little bit, as long, hmm, along with boys. a few other dark money groups, because they don't know how to convince people voting is bad. Uh, so we'll take a look into this Jane Mayer piece where she got her hands on a fucking tape of Mrs. one of these Dark calls. Money herself. Yup. Okay. Jane, Jane in the building. Um, <laughs> and also we got another story. Um, you know we've talked about the NRA obviously being very weak. Um, yet we in the face of these mass shootings, we've seen laws that almost reinforce this just ridiculous idea that we need to have maximum guns on everyone at all times. Um, but this is a really good piece. Um, that is written by Shannon Watts, who founded Moms Demand Action, about why she thinks this time is different. So we'll kind of look into that. And, and I, I want to I want to feel good about her observations. Um, and then we'll just talk about, you know, I think sports have gotten too woke, according to a poll. Uh, we'll talk about the new Titanic and, you know, maybe a theater update. Maybe we'll go to the West End, uh, Broadway, what? what have is you. Is Cats and, coming back? You'll, oh, you just have to wait and see. These are two things that maybe we'll see it. Maybe nobody asked for, but either way, it's happening. Love it. Um, but first, Kristen, we got to ask our guests, what is something from your search history that, you know, reveals a little bit about who you are? Okay. So one thing from my Google search history is ILGWU 1982 strike New York. Okay. Is this ringing mm -hmm. any bells? Where no. where are my strike nerds at? Labor history nerds. Something, is this a garment workers union? Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I, nice. I was able to piece together GW. Okay. Yes. So okay. the International Ladies Garment Workers Union okay. strike of 1982. I was searching for it because I randomly like stumbled across it and learned that in 1982. Nearly 20,000, almost all women, mostly all of Asian descent, marched from Chinatown down to Columbus Circle. Um, mm -hmm. And it was this huge labor 
a moment where the garment workers union was fed up and they uh, basically demanded rights that had a major ripple effect into like just workers at large rights. And my mind was just blown because I had never heard of that before. And you would think that like, oh, 20,000 people taking to the streets, like maybe that would be something that's like in our in our mm-hmm. history books. But <laughs> no, no, Alas. people of color organizing other people of color and like making change. Oh, shocker. Um, we yeah. aren't taught about that in our textbooks. Um, so I was doing some some digging to yeah. find out more about that and the rad women who organized it. How did you even, how did that even, how did you, cause I'm hearing, obviously I'm like you, I'm like, wow, uh, I've heard this, I've never heard of this. And also it's no surprise because yes, why would you tell little kids and put ideas in their head that they Mm -hmm. could organize themselves and demand better treatment? Um, So how did you come across the story? So I was doing um, some research for (laughs) uh, Women's History Month, Month content um, because, uh, <laughs> oh, we love it. <laughs> you know, content, you know, internet yeah. content. Love, love a bit of custom content. content. <laughs> so International Women's Day, if you didn't know, actually has its roots in the labor movement and mm. old school socialism. Mm-hmm. Um, so Women's History Month, by extension, actually has like very uh, labor uh, socialist roots. So I was thinking like, oh, I can make some custom content around mm-hmm. like women in the labor movement. And uh, and also, too, I feel like um, not to be too on the nose, but I I think that uh, labor history is very zeitgeisty right now mm-hmm. as yes. um, mm-hmm. the mills and the Gen Z's are uh, getting maybe just a touch fed up with capitalism. <laughs> um, and all of a sudden I ran across this profile of Mei Chen, Connie Ling, and Alice Ip, who organized this. And I was like, God damn it, more stuff right. that I didn't know. Yeah. This is so cool. It's like, it's so funny. At every turn, it's like, it's always, they don't want people to have the imagination for revolution at any point. Yes. You know, that's really, at, at all. it's what it all boils down to. No, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Why don't you talk about cancel culture? No, 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 don't hear about how thoroughly Amazon's getting owned with piss bottle gate and the fake right. accounts, all this other nonsense. Uh, well, it's, it's like the, the revolutions they teach are very selective that reinforce a certain uh, kind of idea. These right. I'm, I'm looking up pictures of, of this strike and it's so cool. And it's right? so on, on top of um, how incredible it is to see just like women organ organizing and, and, getting results the outfits are great it's very 80s so highly recommend yeah i mean you gotta love some 1982 history i mean if only for the fashion right only for the pants yeah (laughs) oh i mean okay this all makes sense too that in like one of their first strikes was right after the triangle shirtwaist fire so they man shout out to ilgw and we're learning something every day this is amazing thanks for doing us this Kristen, what is something you think is overrated? Okay. This feels a little hypocritical of me to say, but I'm going to go ahead and say working from home is overrated. Ooh. Mm. Okay. Now, maybe not always for me personally. I've been working from home for the past, when did I quit my job? Uh, 16. What is it now? 
I've been working 21. from home for the past five years. <laughs> right. Oh, wow. Okay. But when you work from home, yes, you have the luxury of no commutes and technically being able to work in your pajamas if you prefer. Mm. But at the same time, like for me right now, like my my apartment is my recording studio, my office, my therapist's office, my like it's everything <laughs> collapsed into one. Right. So yeah. I think the reason it's overrated is because what they don't tell you is that when you work from home, that means you can potentially never leave work. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to create boundaries. That's yes. for sure. Because I, the one thing I've found is since in the in the beginning of the pandemic and the lockdown, I was really treating it like, oh, this is great. Like, I don't have to drive into work. Like, I'm going to take a long ass walk and just like sit in the sun for like 40 minutes and then I'll get to work. But then <laughs> over time, like I just found myself with nothing to do. So I would just start working earlier and earlier. I'd like wake up and like, ah, whatever, seven. I guess I can start working. I'm like, wait, what before I wasn't even working until like closer to 10. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, there's there's like a little bit of guilt, too. Like I still have that fucked up, you know, American worker guilt yes. built into me where it's like, oh, what are you working from home? You fucking sick fuck. Like, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I'll do more to offset the fact that I'm wearing basketball shorts, sir. Uh, but yeah, now I'm like, fuck, I'm off that. You know, I'm just like, we're all just trying to live, baby. Yeah, I think that working from home for the past year has uh, enabled and activated some of the least healthy parts of my brain and some of my worst habits. Just like know that the lack of separation is really stressful. The the I don't know, just like you don't have an excuse like i don't i i can't transition from like work stuff to like life stuff in the same room it's so uncomfortable you gotta you have to give yourself time boundaries at the very least like that's the only way i could do it i was like if i started doing anything resembling work before like fucking nine i was like stop that's (laughs) because you know you're gonna end up you got other recordings later in the day and you technically won't be done till seven or some mm-hmm. shit. So don't give yourself a set, like, you know, 12 hour work. Anyway, look. Miles, you is... sound like a boss's dream, though. You're like the best case scenario. Like, oh, the workers will want to start working yeah. earlier. <laughs> They'll never look stop. at him. Look at that. It's his, yeah, his, his Japanese guilt mixed in with his, you know, person of color, minority trying to work in this country. It's just, I can't win no matter what. But that's why therapy again, you know, because the same seat I'm sitting in is where I get my therapy off to uh, mm. and working on that. But realizing we got to have healthier boundaries because, yeah, it is a double-edged sword for sure. Um, Kristen, what's something you think is underrated? Okay. Peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Why underrated? You. Aren't they, Are they not a staple? Are they not well, getting I, the respect they need? I'm sorry. I hate to put you on the... <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, Kristen. Are they not a staple food already? What, really, what are you advocating for exactly? Wrong. You know, I knew this was going to be the hot take that really stirred up some controversy. So I'm Which ready is to a blessing. It's not blessing for this show. <laughs> um, well, yes, they are a staple. But I think that th- we think of them as like, you know, child's. Child's play. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's what the kids eat. Right. Um, It's so simple. But it has everything as someone who works from home and sometimes like, you know, with the with the scheduling fluidity, it can be hard for me to like stop and take a lunch break. Right. So Mm -hmm. if I can just like slap some 
some peanut butter on a bread and like jelly on the other side. I'm telling you how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for anyone uh-huh. who didn't know. Uh, <laughs> and then eat that. Um, it's like everything that you need. I had a nutritionist who told me it's like it's like a, it is a complete meal because you got your protein, you got your carbs, you got yeah. a little sweet in there, a little sugar, a little salt. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. And I feel like adults really don't appreciate just the the simple uh, nutritional power of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And for me, as like ridiculous as it is, it creates <laughs> some needed order in my day. <laughs> Right. Of like, well, I got the sandwich. We can do this. Um, I once read like an interview with Samantha B, where she was talking about how her like one thing is like she makes herself lunch for the next day, like every night, and like that keeps her like feeling prepared and setting. I was like, well, you know what? It's good enough for B. It's good enough for Whoa. me. <laughs> Full I, of with, the quotables. PB and J's when uh, the game changer for me in the last year was toasting them. Adding a little oh my god, and giving a little crunch to your PB and J, highly recommend Woo! it. I'll just make two pieces of toast and then turn it into a PB and J, and it feels I feel so fucking elegant. Yeah, but when... I love, but but Jamie, I love the texture of the cheap white bread being stuck to the back of my front teeth when I take a bite. <laughs> Don't you and like I... the texture of crispy white bread? Stuck I feel like to that's the, the only thing you think when I eat a when it's not toast. I'm like, oh, I gotta. It's all stuck behind my front. Oh yeah, teeth now. yeah. You gotta you yeah. gotta have some like a like an almond milk or like you gotta have something oh, on the side look, to wash to that down. Yeah. yeah what, sure. And what about jellies? What are we doing here for the jelly side from the two of you? What is because I, you know, I'm gonna be honest. I, I only have, I only keep peanut butter in my home. I haven't, Ooh. I haven't come home to Jellyville in a long time. <gasps> I do like the the fruity preserves thing, and I put it on toast and waffles. But and... what flavor? What flavor are we talking? Oh, I what... do strawberry. I'm, I'm extremely okay. basic in that regard. I've never, I've always had grape jelly growing up, so I've never strayed from grape jelly. Oh, Miles, there's a whole world of jams and jellies uh, out there. There's so many. There's so I'm many. fucking up. The, one, the most recent thing I did do was a pepper jelly and peanut butter sandwich. Ooh. Was that good? Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't bad because pepper jelly's sweet, but there's also a little heat behind it. And, you know, peanuts are part of Thai cooking. You know what I mean? Like nuts and heat mm-hmm. go all together. You know what I mean? You can put that on a shirt. But that it was a good it was a good flavor profile for sure. I don't that I can't believe I missed the low hanging fruit of merely fun. toasting the bread. It's so I because I, I have because I love PBJs, but the 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 chewy ones, they like taste like embarrassment. I felt when I was eight and I like it. It does kind of make me like tense up because I it, you just like I'm like, oh, I'm at a lunch table alone again. No, thank you. <laughs> Toast it up. You're an adult. <laughs> oh, do they know what, what you would what you would rise to be the toasted yeah. PB&J sandwich eater? <laughs> and we're all keeping a peanut butter, no alternatives. I mean, I I, I love an almond butter, you know, but uh, you know, in these pandemic times, mm-hmm, you know, I'm on mm-hmm. I'm on a budget, so I got to keep it keep it with peanuts right now. Yeah. Once you know, once almonds all take my a lot of water too. Come in, yeah, a lot a lot of water <laughs> and uh, and a crunchy peanut butter. Mm-hmm. What are we talking about? Yeah. Like Laura Scudders. You know, some separation may occur. Oil on top. Yeah, that was like the one my dad used to buy, and I'll get so mad because it wasn't Jif. Because like, I don't like this. I want Peter Pan. And he's like, this is that old shit. And I'm like, "Ah, I just got got grease on top. 
We got like some off brand, like whatever the off brand GIF was. It was like Jorp or whatever. <laughs> like what they would sell at, at the grocery store. They're like, oh, it looks just like Jip, but it's called Jorf. Uh, enjoy. Oh, man. I love Jorf. Please. <laughs> yeah. Laura Scudder was an entrepreneur from Monterey Park, California, who made potato chips and pioneered the packaging of potato chips in sealed bags to extend That's freshness. Well. Go off, Laura. Good God for Laura. Damn. Never yeah, even heard of Laura Scudder. Yeah, name? maybe it's a California thing. That makes sense for it to be a mon- like starting in Monterey Park. And my dad, who grew up in Los Angeles, that maybe that was just like the you know the local shit. So it's the last day of Laura Women's Scudders. History Month when this episode comes out. I right at the buzzer, I'm baby. So glad Laura got in right. It's like oh, because we're talking about Titanic today. It's like when the guy gets in right underneath. You know, when the ship is sinking and there's a guy. Oh, yep. I was like, Wait, I was like, part? I will continue describing this part of Titanic. The door is coming down, and they're about to be like the workers are going to be trapped in the water. Oh type yeah, thing. And the one guy just he yeah, goes that's like, true. "That's Laura." Yeah. With he scuttered. Yep. She scuttered. <laughs> scuttered. <laughs> Straight scuttery. I love it. All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back to talk some slightly positive news. And we're back. And the Koch brothers, maybe heard of them. They're like the look up the business plot when uh, a lot of people tried to overthrow FDR because they were all in on, you know, letting business run shit. That's kind of like the vision that Koch brothers have. They would like to know that, you know, them as just business magnates or that, you know, billionaire class is still able to run shit and, you know, dictate what the policies and procedures are of this country. And Mm -hmm. they've done a pretty good job. You know, like their dark money groups and other people like them have done a really good job to pervert the process at every turn, whether that's funding these weird ad campaigns you never heard of that can just swamp a district before an election or bogus research studies that then get, you know, parroted around on Fox News. Their whole bag and this whole group and this whole sect or, you know, let's say genre of fuckface uh, mm-hmm. is all about using their money in the most yeah, cynical ways and to create this idea that there's maybe support for awful fucking ideas. So <laughs> let's talk about Jane Mayer. She's got a new piece in The New Yorker and she, she got oh, her fucking her. hands on a conference call of these fucking monsters and the, and it's not really so much for like what their plans are, because it's always so out in the open. We understand how, you know, they created the Tea Party movement as a response to having, a, you know, a black president. So in this instance, she's like, it's just a little interesting what I heard. Um, you know, they, they're really trying to figure out how they can just completely kneecap H.R. 1, which is the For the People Act, which is the thing that passed the House. It's just sitting in the Senate because senators want to keep the filibuster for some reason and let this shit go on. So in this story, there's just some really good tidbits because the overarching theme is that they don't, they can't wrap their heads around the fact that all people in this country seem to be behind the idea that dark money needs to be out of politics. Um, Mm -hmm. And so this is like one of this, I'll just read this excerpt from the article. Kyle McKenzie, the research director for the Coke run advocacy group stand together, told fellow conservatives and Republican congressional staffers on the call that he had a spoiler. Uh Oh, 
which was, when presented with a very neutral description of the bill, people were generally supportive, McKenzie said, adding that the most worrisome part is that conservatives were actually as supportive as the general public was when they read the neutral description. He goes Uh on to warn, there's large, very large chunk of conservatives who are supportive of these types of efforts. (laughs) Watch out for that chunko conservatives. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like they realized the dark money wasn't really working for them. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, they're, they're so they're like, oh, God, the people have become aware. It used to just be like, you know, we could let their subconscious or conscious racism allow them to sort of drift to this part. But when they read yeah. this shit out loud, hey, this is nonsense. Money's perverting the political process. I mean, y'all, Donald Trump kind of wrote into office on that shit. So you. On some level, that was a winning message for people who were, you know, the people you thought would help you overthrow the government. So he also goes on um, that, you know, like, what do you do now? Because if these people are like fucking figuring it out, what do we do? Mackenzie conceded the legislation's opponents would likely have to rely on Republicans in the Senate where the bill is now under debate to use, quote, under the dome type strategies, end quote, meaning legislative maneuvers beneath Congress's roof, such as the filibuster to stop the bill, uh, Mm -hmm. because turning public opinion against it would be, quote, incredibly difficult. He warned that the worst thing conservatives could do would be to try to, quote, engage with the other side on the argument that the legislation, quote, stops billionaires from buying elections. McKinsey admitted, quote, unfortunately, we found that this is a winning message for both the general public and also conservatives. Who we don't they, and, count as the general public for some reason. Well, <laughs> the, that shows you their worldview, right? Yeah. This is so, I mean, like, first of all, if I were 12 and asked to write what I thought billionaires talked about and how they talked about it when they get scared, I would have written <laughs> this exact thing. This is so, this is just so evil sounding, like yeah. a, a villain and, you know, a villain painted into a corner kind of rhetoric. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, and again, indicates, I think, just how much they're, they've, for all the money they've poured into it. To now, like they're at this point where, like, guys, guys, we're, we're we're not seeing a return on any of this. Like all this, all this money that was spent, it's all going bad. And on top of it, that you go on on this call about how they tried fucking everything to figure out effective messaging. And even when they said they tried like connecting AOC and be like, oh my god, you know, these socialists are like, you know, isn't that like fucking what is this? We got to stop it. Or even saying. Uh, using cancel culture to try and Ooh. like infuse cancel culture with what this voting legislation was. It all the fucking needle did not move, even with cancel culture, because even conservatives who would have thought that, you know, their rampant greed would eventually translate into resentment. I don't know. Maybe that's what happened. So this is where they're at. Right. Were they like, oh, uh. Like, was it cancel the billionaires that didn't work? Like, how the fuck did they yeah. even try to tie cancel culture? It was more like, it. I think, just so indirect. Like, you know, liberals are so, you know, uh, hopped up on cancel culture that they'll do everything at any turn to stop the will of the people, including this bill that prevents billionaires from buying elections. And then, like, we were like, yeah, nah. <laughs> but whenever the messaging was had anything to do with, like, something punitive for billionaires, support skyrocketed. And they're we just like, so- oh, what are we? <sighs> we were talking about this yesterday, too, of just like how every like 
person seems to have a different uh, definition of what cancel culture means to them. And it's like, I'm not interested in what a billionaire's version of cancel culture is. It means something totally different. It means like getting mad that I'm breaking the law with all of my money and I'm racist. It's like, that's not that's not cancel culture. That's that's billionaire culture. (laughs) Yeah. They don't even they don't even understand it from their side. They're like, uh, and then uh, just one quote from, you know, fucking epic conservative goon Grover Norquist. Um, he was also on this call and he said, quote, the left is not stupid. They're evil. They know what they're doing. They have correctly decided that this is the way to disable the freedom movement. Oh God. I mean, put that on a poster, y'all. They're Honestly, saying this is the thing. Well, this is what we also told them or this is what we've been saying about H.R. one and why it's. Why, like we're not understanding why it's taking so long. This is an existential threat to Republican politics because everything mm-hmm. is about voter suppression and keeping people in the dark as much as possible. And now when you have something that's there to remedy that and actively cre- make it easier for people to vote and actually be informed, it's like this is and I, I love the terminology, the way to disable the fucking freedom movement. <laughs> okay. A 12 year old wrote that. Like, That's what is so the ridiculous. freedom movement? Free. It's such a bummer that like freedom and patriot are like two such red flag words. Yeah. Like if someone invokes them, like I, I don't even know what you. Yeah, mean my by fight that. or flight response kicks in <laughs> if someone starts to self-identify as a patriot. Yeah. Um. It's yeah. I mean, it's it's stories like this are tough, right? Because it's you know it's kind of. Funny and like satisfying to watch these like sick people flail, but then right. also it's like they still have all that money, and when uh when someone with that much money and and power starts to feel desperate, we you know weird shit what happen. happens. Yeah, yeah, weird shit. Like at at the least, you know, weird shit will happen. So I, I, I mean, yeah, weird shit or not, at the very least, I think what we can take from this is that even conservatives, for whatever reason. Are I mean, not for whatever reason, I think because this is like the point that you'd hope people can begin to like melt this divide to understand like, yeah, I mean, granted, a lot of people have some awful fucking ideas, but then people just in general, this lack of focus on like the real issues of our country rather than be like, oh, I can't believe it's these this critical race theory that's being taught in schools or I can't believe they're like we have to actually begin to understand like what is at the root of you know all of this societal rot but yeah we'll see maybe it's greed who who would have thought hmm, i'm I'm open to that maybe the left is evil y'all i mean yeah (laughs) there's that too and it's like yeah it takes a lot for people like what no one good one bad it's like no one say racism out loud the other does cosplay that's kind of racist and then we'll do it quiet and then incrementally change things that feels still the same uh for the people living a period of hundreds of years yeah Yeah. oh man but anyway loved the kente cloth outfits though in the rotunda i'll still i'll always think of that when i think of why the democrats have the interests of black people at heart (laughs) um you know clever optics for whoever uh, thought that up okay let's move on to the nra because this is another group who you know they're, they're weaker they're this patriots. time. They're patriots. They're oh, patriots. Yeah. I think oh, that they're they are big, everyone. Big P patriots. Big PP with their guns patriots. Um, <laughs> and they 
look, this is we're in a really fucked up time. Uh, recently, I think the Ninth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals just ruled that, like, th- there's no constitutional argument to why you should have open or concealed carry, um, mm-hmm. which I think which means this is now going to end up at the, in the Supreme Court. But that's a good that's good for any regulation that people said, like, yeah, we're trying to tamp down on what you can just carry out and about in public. So that's like the latest sort of back and forth with gun control. But they this the NRA is bankrupt and withered. But the fact remains that like gun humper culture is still very much alive and well because of the work that they did over the last few decades. Mm-hmm. And I still remain very cynical over the likelihood of substantive gun control reform. Um, but I do recognize that we are in a much different time now than we have been ever before. Mm-hmm. Shannon Watts who founded Moms Demand Action the day after Sandy Hook, um, has been a regular sparring partner with the, with the NRA since 2012. And she wrote, recently wrote an op-ed that outlines for her, just from how she's looking at it, why she thinks that we may begin to see something different, that Goliath may be you know falling at this point. She points to the mm-hmm. fact that support for universal ba- background checks through the roof. We saw that. This includes mm-hmm. 89% of Republicans and 89% of gun owners. So wow. not o- yeah, not okay. only that, but it's so weird. We don't hear a lot of the, this polling like in the reporting. It's always very mm-hmm. like it's uh, we can thank the media for that. Um, yeah. But not only that, gun control was getting the same support from voters um, that job creation and an additional covid stimulus was for in terms of like what they felt should be the hunt first hundred days priority of the new Congress and administration. It's the I third do, thing. I- I do wish that that was more widely reported. I mean, it seems like, unfortunately, the the only times we hear about these kinds of discussions is right after something terrible has happened as a result of gun violence. And it's never like, hey, this like there, this is actually a widely supported thing. That's mm, that's fucked. I'm glad that's true. But I wish that, you know, that kind of stuff was more widely reported. I also yeah. wonder with some of this polling, whether um, there's any sort of effect of the people they're polling like essentially wanting to say the right answer sure but not necessarily i'm thinking about like the pre-2016 election polling that like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it's gonna be a blowout of course clinton's gonna win but, but is, we yeah. now know that like i don't know I, I i i feel like a lot of times we hear especially in times like this in the wake of uh of mass shootings and things like that gun owners coming out saying like now, I'm all for owning guns, but I want to do it responsibly. Uh, right. And I just I don't know. I don't know that what? I trust those numbers. Yeah. I mean, it's that's why I say it. that's why I still remain cynical, you know, yeah, because sure. I think despite that, there's still an idea where people have these just like thought killing cliches, which is Democrat come steal my gun. And mm-hmm. then it's this becomes this existential fight. But at the same time, I think is like. Just I, unfortunately, as gun violence just becomes more widespread, like it's starting to affect a wider group of people who are starting to see themselves and maybe the victims out there and be like, yeah, well, I know I'm not a bad guy. I just, you know, I'm making up for uh, not making the football team in high school. So that's why I have all these guns. But maybe and I'm responsible. So, yeah, maybe it should just be for responsible people. I don't know. I am encouraged that Shannon Watts uh, finds it encouraging. I'm like, that's at least that that's a good person to to take cues from. Right. Well, because typically they're writing the pieces that are saying the NRA is making it impossible for anything to happen. And they're telling Mm -hmm. you from their perspective of how many times they've had to go up against this lobbying group. But now it's like saying, like, 
things are changing at the very least. I think that's right. the most healthy bit of optimism I'll take from that is things are changing. Um, mm -hmm. And she even goes on to point out in 2020, the group spent like half of what it did in 2016 uh, to support mm -hmm. Trump, obviously, because they're dealing with bankruptcy, um, as well as other Republicans. And then one third less on lobbying um, in that year. And then uh -huh. revenue and revenue from membership dues also dropped by 34 percent in 2019, um, partly because there seems to be like awareness that they don't represent responsible gun owners anymore. Like it used to just be like, hey, you got your gun. You joined the NRA. And da, 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 da. And now people, I think, just like they just I don't know. I, I watched NRA TV the other day <laughs> and damn Bongino ripped apart a black action figure uh, and kept calling it a thug. I had no idea what this has to do with the rifles or anything. Yeah, that's their children's programming, too. It's it's a difficult <laughs> channel to watch. Dan Bongino screaming about thugs and I should be an NYPD <laughs> cop and I know about them. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I hope I hope she's right, you know, because I think their whole worldview and their whole model as business was just sort of being like, the world is coming to kill you Buy these guns because no one can be trusted, especially brown people. And they they want to make people feel as helpless as possible and nothing can be done. But I, I think given and this is another thing Shannon Watts points to, given 2020 and how just awful things were and people sort of trying to figure out, like, why things are the way they are, that there's a little bit different energy that maybe people are trying to figure out. Maybe there is a way for them to exercise their power rather than standing idly by. Mm -hmm. Go fucking figure. Yeah. I mean, look, you love to see it. You really do. I do love to see. It. I mean, this is this is generally I mean, it, it's I think definitely a part of this is like them slowly going broke. But the fact that public uh, perception has actually shifted in the past couple of years, it's like, well, thank fucking God that the past couple of years did something to, you know, shift right. the conversation on this. Yeah. Like if, if anything, yeah. like, can we just can we just get the assault weapons ban? Right. Yeah. We'll just start there. Like, that's. <laughs> Can we get on the yeah, same page with that, people? I don't know. The correspondents on NRA TV don't seem to think that that's a feasible possibility. And I would trust them with my life because they have so many guns. Who's that satirist? Is there a Hillary Sargent on Twitter? Oh, that, like, yeah. I used to work with her. Oh, my God. She's fucking God level trolling with She's gun great, control yeah. people. I loved it when because did you see the thing that blew up last week when she was like, the AR-15 of most of you don't know, it's called that because it shoots 15 bullets at a time. Oh, and no. this was like on a Steven Crowder tweet. So uh, the oh the ex the mansplaining, the gunsplaining <laughs> that came in was so funny where people thought she was serious and she would clap back immediately. She's like, uh, I was in the military. It actually stands for Armalite Rifle. And she said, oh, I'm sorry to tell you, then you've actually never fired a real AR-15. And people would be like, how are you going to tell me that? Posting pictures of them in uniform. And like these people were... Just the easiest shit. She's like, oh, no. Her thing was just always dismissing what they were saying was not true and that she was the only person who has fired an AR-15. <laughs> <laughs> I love, uh, I mean, it's like uh, appealing to ego like that. That's a that's a dangerous game to play. Oh, my yeah. God. Well, yeah, when uh, men start sending you selfies with their AR-15, they're like, no, I'm a good guy, though. You're like, no, right. no, 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 no. Another <laughs> one was like, you. yeah, another one was like, what about this one? Uh, it's like, this is an AK-47. She's like, yeah, that fires 47 bullets at a time. And also, that's my photo you stole. Nice try. <laughs> and also, that's a dick pic, sir. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Sir, please uh, put your gun down and uh, change into a different Rick and Morty shirt. Thank you. <laughs> I do, since we are closing out Women's History Month, I do have to give a shout out to the NRA for their for their outreach to women because, I mean, they, um, they've really, I, I love how they've repackaged, like, female empowerment and, dare I say, feminism as, like, mm-hmm. ladies, claim your power with this gun. It'll fit in your purse. Right. That is so, that is I mean uh anytime there is a, a a month for like anything that sh- that shit drives me crazy. There was this week the LAPD was firing off a bunch of tweets being like, "Hey everybody, women can be complicit in police violence too." So like uh like and subscribe. It's what? Oh, it's horrible. They well they'll just like feature women in the police space and be like shout out to the ladies like it's oh right it's oh, so bleak i really don't like it yikes how yeah, how like small tiny brained do you think i am that i'm gonna look at an lapd tweet and think it's feminist come on well, well, you yeah. have a woman-sized brain. Yeah. So. It's true. It's very small. Look, women <laughs> see women equal women feminism, okay? When I see a woman, I agree. <laughs> when I see a woman, feminism. You know? <laughs> exactly. That's really the four. And also, like, their NRA's idea, right? It's like, hey, uh, you can offset the imbalance of patriarchy through violence is the oh, solution. Yeah. 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 So then yeah. why aren't they telling that to black people, too? Hey man, this is white supremacy's fucked up, huh? Hey, I know how we know how to equalize that. Get you, get you a gun. But see, that's mm-hmm. it's just funny how the logic is applied to certain groups. But like oppressed, here's a gun. Oppressed, you take their guns away. <laughs> hmm. Little We're lack fine. of consistency. Mm-hmm. All right, um, here's an interesting poll I'd like to read out loud for everyone. A YouGov Yahoo News survey found that 34% of respondents said they are watching pro sports less frequently due to calls for racial justice from sports figures, with 11% saying they now watch more. Uh, But a majority, more than 56%, said it doesn't fucking bother them because sports. (laughs) Because sports rock. I, like, shut up. This is a poll I don't believe. Uncle Contingency... That's yeah, that's I, I can speak to the East Coast uncle contingency that are like, well, I don't want to know anyone's opinions on anything. Like they'll try to spin it in this really disingenuine way, um, not right. mentioning that it makes them feel comfortable, like uncomfortable about having their beliefs challenged and their comfort challenged. But instead, they're like, well, athletes shouldn't say what they think about things. That's not why I turn my TV on. And it's like, well, it's not about you. Uncle right. Butch, it's not about you. <laughs> I'm not watching the NFL anymore. And then it's they like, you see them. You. <laughs> it's they're posting about how they're secretly watching it. That's I don't understand. Like 34% of sports fans are so racist that they will no longer right. watch like the one place where toxic masculinity can just run wild. Like what the fuck are they going to switch to? <laughs> like, I'm serious. Like for real. <laughs> yeah. Like if you really fuck with sports, those people just, that's why I'm like, I don't, this seems just like a lie. Like you're saying that because really you're just saying that it, it puts me off. But at the end of the day, I only know how to translate my lived experience through watching muscle bound athletes smash into each other. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Uh. Also, how much of this too is maybe you're watching 
less sports because over the past year there have been fewer sporting events to watch. Uncle Butch. <laughs> um, right? We're calling and- him out. <laughs> Uncle Butch, the time is now. You got to right. listen to I've this. called him out on this very podcast. <laughs> Come on, You're Butch, brave, bro. <laughs> What's his name? Bill. What's his God-given name? His God-given name? I honestly couldn't tell you. We don't. I love that. That's better. Uh, oh, <laughs> Uncle Butch like, is real. Butch. Oh, oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's not look. fictional. Welcome to therapy again. We're all Hi, in our everybody. therapist's office. <laughs> Hi. Great. Hi. So. Yeah, I don't. I'm still. I'm very curious. If uh, listeners, if you know someone who is so principled in their racism that up until this point they were fine watching their modern Mandingo fights uh, via the NFL or college football, um, that, what happened? What did they switch to? What are they saying they found that is filling that void? Is it just like combat sports, or is it, it ain't reading? It ain't. Are they going to the music. WWE? Are they where? Where That's else right. is there to go? It's you know what it is. It's the same. It's it's the, I think this poll is a version of when conservatives like pump fake with a boycott and you're like, <laughs> OK, go ahead, fool. Like you'll be surprised how little it does to impact the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and this feels like 34 percent of you like, yeah, you know what? Actually, I'm I'm watching. Yeah, I'm turned off by this stuff. This <laughs> Black Lives Matter stuff like, oh, my sir. Don't. OK. Anyway, <laughs> the life of a pollster in the United States. Also, wouldn't real fans stay tuned? You know, I mean, that just seems like an unfan kind of thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, how do you you're not you're not you're no fucking fan. If you got like you now, I don't it's just I'm trying to find the logic path where they were okay cheering for black men or men of color, women of color, people of color in their sporting event because it Mm -hmm. served their team. But the moment. That the the spotlight is put on the inequities of it all. It's like, well, actually, that's that's just how white supremacy works. That makes sense. <laughs> I liked it better when we didn't talk about it. And now that we're talking about it, now I got to fucking scream about it because I don't want to be self-aware. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing so. someone uh, take a knee is is just wildly triggering, you know? Yeah, right. I mean, For, wow, what, like, a, what an aggressive posture to take. Like, who would exactly. who would want to see that? Yeah, Kaepernick should have stormed the Capitol if he wanted to do something about it. It does kind of make me wonder if, um, you know, if that would be not to say that this contingency of sports fans would be any less racist. But if the media coverage around it were less manipulative, particularly it's like if you're the kind of sports uncle that watches a game and then fucking flips to Tucker Carlson, who's going to talk about the game you were just watching and like, why you know the, yeah I, I why you're like an idiot for doing it. right like it's just like there are there are so many uh you know popular media outlets that are you know encouraging and stoking and probably pointing out shit that might not bother someone as much and then like how could you not see how inherently wrong this is you know it's like there's so many factors going on i don't know yeah that could be wrong no but i mean it makes like again Everyone has their own shielded worldview based on their media consumption and gets twisted and turned in all kinds of ways. So, um, all right, let's take another break and we're going to let's I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we're messing around with non news this whole time. We're going to get back and talk about real fucking hard news in a second right after this. And we're back. James Cameron. Oh, 
is making another Titanic movie, kind of. Kind of. Okay. I say kind of because it's a documentary. But but I'm going to put a pin in that because we have to do a little bit of research here or just a little bit of context. Um, Shout out to JM, our writer, who was like, look at look at what's happening. Um, There is a Chinese developer right now who is in the process of constructing a life size, full scale version of the Titanic. Um, It is built in the countryside of China, about 1000 miles from the sea. So it is very landlocked. Um, (laughs) Why is it being built? Nobody knows. What okay, the that's fuck a, is going that's on? What? Why? Why question joy in this way? Why? I mean, who wh- cares? I like Ugh. this photo of seeing it being built, like clearly in the middle of nowhere. And I like, and I do. You can tell what they're doing is they're building like a miniature dock, so it look it will sit in water essentially, so it'll look it's like it's a in big water. Titanic puddle. Oh. Yeah, it's a, a little <laughs> bathtub, <laughs> little foot bath for the Titanic. Wow. Um, this, I mean, it. The shit looks massive. So, yes, uh, they are building, in fact, a full scale replica. Uh, mm-hmm. The way it's all. Ha- so there's an infomercial, apparently, that the developer of the like this construction site screens for visitors when they go visit. And the even the, the, the infomercial that plays doesn't answer any of those questions. It's just sort of like <laughs> this is a replica full scale coming soon. No why, who, where, what, huh? And it turns out uh, this is actually being built by a very wealthy businessman, a businessman by the name of last name Su, who is the president of a of Seven Star Energy Investment Group. He's just oh, a no. gigantic Titanic fan. Okay, and so this, this is, is a passion like project. A, this is like a cool if there I I reject people this wealthy except for this person specifically. This is a fun (laughs) way to use fabulous wealth. This is and and also there's been other attempts to do this. Like over the as a longtime Titanic head, there have been so many attempts to like get a you know they like to create a Titanic cruise ship and then take the same route as the Titanic and shit like that for years. I'm like I'm just so happy it's actually happening. James Cameron didn't even get to build a full size Titanic. He only had to he only had to build half. He's pissed. You think he's jealous? Yeah. He's so jealous. A little bit of lore. He seems like Uh, a bitter man. My mom was in Mexico when they shot the sinking scene and got to witness it. Yeah. Or like when they had the half half version coming out of the water. And I remember she was like, I remember as a kid, I was like, why are you going to Mexico? Like for a work trip? I'm like, I don't want to be here with that. And she's like, it's Titanic. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. And it always confused me, like why it wasn't shot in the sea in Mexico. And I had no idea about production then. But anyway, a little bit That's of fact. So you should have her on your show. Cool. What a legacy. <laughs> what it was like to be there in the cold. Um, <laughs> so back to this new thing. There's a, a new Titanic movie with James Cameron. At the helm, or well, rather, he's producing it, but it's mm-hmm. a documentary about the six Chinese survivors of the Titanic sinking. Cool. Who have gone ignored by history. This is called the movie's called The Six. Um, and it's just about just all the Chinese aspects of this story that have been completely erased or not told outside of China, perhaps. So yeah. um, it's going to be coming out like pretty soon, actually, this April on the 109th anniversary of the Titanic. Wow. Damn, that's wild to think. My grandma would have been 109. She was born uh, two days after the Titanic sank. <laughs> um, oh. She lived to 102, though. She was doing all right. Shout out Michiko. Um, <laughs> but 
you know, I think one of the reasons that we didn't get the, you know, full story about these six Chinese survivors is, you guessed it, racism. Mm -hmm. Um, The men were in steerage, uh, where their survival rate was only about 20%. And Mm -hmm. once they arrived in the U.S., they were detained and deported due to the Chinese Exclusion Act. Oh, my God. These motherfuckers survived the sinking of the like off the Titanic being pulled out the water. They Were got they to the U.S. Boat? And, yeah, and they said, "Yo, y'all are out of here. No, we don't. We're not no. doing this." Oh. Holy uh, yeah. shit! The other thing that uh, JM notes is that other passengers were given medical treatment and they were denied medical treatment. It was like an immediate, oh like, "Nope, nope, nope. You already know you can't be here. Can't be here. Here's your ticket. Goodbye." So yes, this is like a very American telling of this story. But another really interesting bit was that James Cameron originally had a scene or a shot where a Chinese man was rescued from a wooden plank, but they cut it from the theatrical version. Are they going to release it in the new movie? I know. Like, shouldn't that be like the new Snyder cut? It's just like, put back the little weird bit of Asian <laughs> representation there was in this In the four-hour movie. Wow, yeah. this is, I had no idea this was going to happen. This is so fucking cool. Yeah. yeah. Another mind-blowing thing. James yep. Cameron used the story of one of the passengers, Fang Lang, who survived on a floating door as, uh, you guessed it, inspiration for that- Jack and Rose's final scene. So you're taken wow. from them and you're still, we didn't know this, James. James needs to make this right. I'm glad yeah. I, he needs to make this right. Yeah. That, this is so, oh my God, that's this, I I can't put into words how excited I am to watch this. I hope it's like, it will be widely available. Shoot, reshoot the film, but splice in these, like, this is a much more interesting story than the made up rich white lady who threw her yeah. ocean, her necklace in the sea. Like, yeah. <laughs> but hey, 96, 97, this is where they're at, yeah. but yeah. And then he released, James Cameron did another uh, documentary about Titanic that I called Ghosts of the Abyss. Did you see that? Oh, that was like the one that went back down into the sea, right? Like, yeah. Was that the submersible just, one? He's just really in love with Titanic, the, sh- the ship, and he's got yeah. so much money. But this is this is like a story I've never heard about before. This is I'm so happy yeah. this is like going to be released. <gasps> Equal parts interesting and horrifying. So yeah. you get your good and your bad. But yeah, to, to know that that's off based off of this other person's like true life is really like mind blowing. Yeah. Jamie, as the resident Titanic head, I don't know yeah. if you'll know the answer to this, but I am curious. Like, why do you was the Titanic such a badass ship that we would want to make so many replicas of it? Because it just seems like why do we keep trying to replicate the Titanic if it? Yeah. Is this, a, is this the dumbest question to ask? I just... No, I think it's uh, I I I don't know if speculating. I feel like it's a number of things. I feel like it's like a at least for us right now, it's just enough in the distant past where it feels like uh, I don't know. Like it does that make? Am I am I making sense here? Like it was just long enough ago that mm-hmm. people aren't like this is ghoulish, distasteful, to, right? Yeah, like, so it's been, uh, you know, whatever, almost 110 years. I feel like the way that the movie presented it was so romantic. And also the, like, yeah, the because most of the Titanic media, even, like, before the James Cameron movie, were all either it's, like, you're into it because of, like, 
the whole like the ship angle and like the ego angle and the and and that side of it or it's like you saw like there was like a night to remember in the 50s and then the James Cameron movie and just like it was also like romantic and, and glamorous too yeah yeah and it always and i feel like this is like part of what this documentary will hopefully remedy but it 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 was always focused on like the rich people um, yeah. And the stories were always like this tragic, like, oh, my God, this millionaire died. It's right. so sad. And it's so I, I feel like the, the truly tragic parts of it are like sound like the stories of like the six. And those were completely erased. And it was kind of made to be like almost this novelty thing. Right. I don't know. Oof. Wild. Anyways, yeah. I have a Titanic hoodie coming in the mail <laughs> right now. So this is this is thrilling. Caitlin and I are recording our annual Titanic episode next week. Damn, there we go. Then you could talk about that because I just only recently knew that the like the one black man that was on the Titanic. Mm-hmm. But hey, look, like, we got so many stories we can tell after this. So many stories. But I think for for me, the reason I want to see it is like I kind of want to see it. Like I just want to see it. I think that's my fascination, and I think for me, it's truly like the glitz of it, of being like, oh. Look, a bunch of people would have not allowed me to eat in here in real life, but I thank you for having me. And I think it's just like all the white gloved shit, I think, is like what I think people just have this romanticized view of the 1910s, I guess. Chandeliers on a boat? What? Yeah. (laughs) Dancing? Look, look. Look (laughs) that's a chandelier. Yes, on a boat. We must see that. People like the idea of Billy Zane on a boat. That's really what, uh, <laughs> right? It all know, boils down to keeps it. Yeah, keeps keeps the memory going strong. Um, I just want to add a couple things before we go out. First, just this quick story. Oh, I'm, I hate to bring up Sharon Osbourne again, but she's actually Ooh. getting between five and ten million dollars for being racist. Oh, great! Oh, sick. so that's great, and that's the only way I'll talk about this story. She's gonna like <laughs> this is from page six. Sharon is walking away with a five to ten million dollar minimum payout. And was able to spin that. It was her decision to leave the show. Cool. Then they also say uh-huh. when she's uh, Sharon will talk when she's ready. She still wants to give her side of the story. She has been at the show for eleven years and knows all the secrets. I'm like this shit again about the I know where, we. The <laughs> thing about you was that you were saying wild racist shit before this. You were the problem. It wasn't yeah. the the show. Oh my god. Um. So yeah, just for people who are talking about cancel culture, this motherfucker just got an eight-figure racist reparations payout package. So I'm sorry. Wh- where's the damage done here? She was racist and got a pay. Like I don't know how to draw a clearer line to that. Um. Yeah. But check out her new show with Piers Morgan called "How Is That Racist?" Um. Coming soon. Um. And I, good luck to them. In God the- bless them. God protect these fabulously wealthy racists. I just I just love to yeah. see an older woman who's still culturally relevant, you know, it's just uh <laughs> Jesus. The, the one benefit, right? I mean, let's let's hold to that. <laughs> okay. And now let's let's just wrap this up. Let's just take a quick trip to the theater to mm. look at two new or stage productions. Well, not one's not new. One was about to happen, but the pandemic messed it up. Um that are being talked about and I don't know if I want to see them out of some morbid curiosity or not. Um the first one is Game of Thrones stage production. No. Oh, boy. No, come, thank you. Come on. Well, really? I would like to see the Red Wedding on stage, maybe. 
Oh. You get like a splash guard for the audience. <laughs> <laughs> it would be like uh, that scene in Adam's Family Values when uh, they're like just got all that blood squirting off stage yes, in the school yes. play. Just getting over everybody. Uh, yeah, I don't know what the fuck this is going to be. I mean, this is what they say. The play will be set during what the production is calling a pivotal moment in the history of this series. Oh, thank you for the specificity. Oh, that's so vague. It's only five trillion pages long. We'll feature many of the well-known characters from the series. Just the white ones, though, according to the directors. <laughs> so that's cool. I, 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 I couldn't be less up, interested. Okay. So Game of Thrones, I'm like, okay, we get it. Like, you guys are no, so horny it. for the IP that you'll do fuck. I'm, <laughs> when, when's the next thing? Like a ESL language study course that's all Game of Thrones themed? Like, they can't stop trying to iterate on this shit. You know, they probably already have, like, college courses on it that, pe- that people are going into debt for. For some reason. <laughs> I hate this shit. Um, then, okay, the next one. What about Diana, the musical? <laughs> Uh, this was supposed to fully debut in March of 2020, but maybe the universe mm. or something conspired against it. I don't know. Uh, but they are now returning to the stage and there's also going to be like the production will be available like to the greater Netflix audience. Um, <gasps> wow. I It's about it's Princess Diana, the musical. And we talked about it like I think a while back, like this was back in 2019 when we first heard about it and we were like. Is do we how do we I just saw the crown and it did not seem like something you'd make a musical out of. (laughs) I I this this intrigues me. I'm excited. (laughs) I'm I'm like, you know what? I'm listening. I feel like because like the central character is so compelling, it could be good. Yeah, it's weird. The reviews, the initial reviews when they had the preview were a mix of meh. With a little, no. it's kind of fun and campy and, quote, we didn't need this to be a musical, but whatever. was like sort of the sentiment. Um, because a lot of people were like, well, this didn't need to happen. British audience are going to eat this up. Um, yeah, I just, I just, in my head, I'm like, well, if Evita could work, you know, why, why not Diana? <laughs> The right. the musical, but also right. I'm sure that there's been a million attempts to replicate Evita's success that uh, sucked. Yeah, I just want to I can't wait for the soundtrack to that because, you know, there's going to be a song called The People's Princess. Probably towards the end, there's a song called Let's Take a Drive in Paris. Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, no. no. Yeah, that that's going to be such. How does the musical end with her and Dodie getting in a car? How? Where oh do you take God. it? Where do you cut it off? Where do you do it to Sorry, avoid? You know, there's gonna be like Baby William and Harry being like, yeah. "Mommy, mommy," and then everyone's gonna be like, uh. "Yeah." Oh, maybe it ends with "Candle in the Wind," the Elton John version that he's saying at the funeral. And yes, right. I do still have my People Magazine commemorative issue from uh from the funeral because I was obsessed with Prince William as a child. Wow. Who I think was recently voted hottest bald man. That no. is a no. That's a fucking lie. That's rude. I'm yeah. sorry. That's I mean, if you need any proof that polls and Holler studies are fucked up, that is he is he's gotta be in the bottom two percentile. Yeah, unfortunately. I this, they say that this may be dubious, uh, <laughs> the report, which I I I hope it is, because it's it's the bald community is not fucking with this. 
You know what I mean? A lot of yeah. people on the internet were demanding justice for Stanley Tucci. For <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's I think it's all going to Stanley Tucci's head. I think we got to be careful with how much we pump up Stanley Tucci. I yeah, can see it, t- it taking a weird yeah. turn. Oh, the Tucci. We can't lose the Tucci. Can't lose can't the Tucci, but like let's we can give him other plaudits. We don't 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 gas him up as sexy as bald man alive. Like, <laughs> yeah, Dwayne the Rock mm-hmm. Johnson, I think maybe he seems like the safe choice, considering like he is angling for president at probably twenty thirty two, based on that TV show that he has out. That <laughs> yeah, interesting. Little Rock or Young Rock or whatever it's called. It's not a, It's like not a bad show, but it is. You're like, yeah. oh, this is the this is the roll up to something something else. Well, in the thing, he's running for president in twenty thirty two. You know, yeah, what I mean? like, it's, it's just he's like, talking okay. to Randall Park in every episode. <laughs> just like, oh shit. Anyway. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think we'll, I'll definitely check out the musical because I'm curious how you can, based on the depth of despair that I've seen interwoven into this story and knowing what it was really like versus like my childish, you know, nineties idea of what princess Diana was. I'm like, how do you, how do you do this the right way? Or maybe just so campy that we're like, I don't know, forget of all the psychological trauma of just being you know fucked with by the royal family i hope it focuses on her that would be kind of cool i i recently went through the whole um you're wrong about season on princess diana and really Mm. loved it and there's definitely she was there i i had i had so many false ideas about her right that series corrected so hopefully they did it well but if not i'm still gonna watch it so (laughs) Just as theater fans, how do we see the People's Princess musical number working out? Is it a is it a street scene with like it's a chorus number and people are like holding newspapers? I think it's a street scene, sort of like in uh, Beauty and the Beast when like Belle is walking through the town and people right. are kind of popping Bonjour. out of the shops. Mm-hmm. But this is when she wasn't she like a teacher first, so she like yeah, leaves. Yeah. You know, little children are, are trailing her and like Diana's coming, Diana. Diana, the People's Princess, something like that. Oh, maybe. Yep. Yeah, yep. it's gonna be in the street, and then it's like there's gonna be a little like, oh, I forget what the musical term for this is, but like Prince Charles is gonna be on the side, like, why doesn't anybody like me? <laughs> yes. And then it'll go back to to the chorus. <laughs> I mean, it kind of writes itself, y'all. I yeah. mean, this is actually now making a lot more sense now that we're yeah. workshopping this. It better be so <laughs> campy that it's just absolutely disrespectful to her. I feel like that's a version that I'm like, I don't know. This seems like they Disney-fied it, but this is what they do. I don't know how you can. That's Again, the the elegance will be how they manage to thread the needle of it being like campy musical while also respecting what her lived experience was without like obscuring it. But I believe it could be done. But but then I'm like, I don't know. Is is. that a musical I want? You know, and obviously, you know, because we want to tell the right story about Princess Diana, but like. You know, do we just keep it all saccharine? You know, who knows? Yeah. All right. Well, we we'll find out because it'll be available on October first. So, Kristen, yeah, we'll okay. have to have you back uh, in about seven. What is that? Four months? Six months? Oh my God. What's I time? Who knows? I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah, it's. I mean, I'm looking. I'm hoping for some awesome set shit because, like, that's why I really like the Shrek musical. Uh, because yes. of how awesome the set mechanicry, mechanicry, <laughs> no, I'm by fuck with the theater heavy with that terminology. But yeah, I love those set changes uh, in that in that one. So yeah, 
Let's hope they yeah. got the same people from the Shrek musical to do the Shrek? Diana musical. <laughs> I mean, what, we've talked it to death, but Shrek the musical is so underrated. Everyone thinks you're yeah. joking around when you say you like it, but then you watch it and you're like, wait, holy shit, I'm crying. This is so beautiful. Yeah. It's so good. I it's couldn't so believe good. when you said to watch it and I did and I'm like, and I hate musicals. I was like, this one, this is kind of interesting. Aside from like kind of the tasteless, couple tasteless jokes that yes somehow got in there (laughs) they should uh cut those from the netflix cut i don't know why the fuck those are still there probably because the uh homophobia is said in a rhythmic way (laughs) they're like well (laughs) disrupt the song to remove the homophobia you're like well let's just do it yeah anyway uh so yes we'll keep our eyes on that and the west end and broadway as those productions hit uh i think game of thrones is for 2023 or something like that but either way, uh, Kristen, it's been so great having you on the Daily Zeitgeist. Thank you for stopping by. Um, where can people find you and follow you and listen to you, support you? You can't. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. Uh, and you can find me and Unladylike everywhere at Unladylike Media. And we have um, brand new episodes. We're back in in season session. I don't know. Starting today. So Awesome. Everywhere podcasts are available, you will find Unladylike. There you go. And for people who might not know about Unladylike, what's what's give them a little idea about what they can expect on the show. Unladylike is a show about the lived experiences of women who are essentially um, kind of breaking the gender rules and forging their own paths. And we do a mix of interviews, storytelling, and research. And yeah, if you are curious about, I don't know. Uh, vibrators selling weed um what else yeah. why are those Say the less. first two things that come to mind <laughs> i'm there yeah just those two things that yeah. come to unladylike yep. i am that venn diagram vibrators and selling weed <laughs> and what's a tweet that you've liked is there something on twitter you'd like to call out something you've enjoyed gave you a chuckle yes i have a seasonal tweet from moira donegan who i think yesterday maybe tweeted Like the cicada population, I, too, will be emerging from hibernation this summer to feel the sun on my face and scream. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. It's what the X cicada X or whatever the fuck is going to hit. Is it all over the East Coast? I know in Maryland and D.C. it's definitely going. It's it's hitting there. Really? Oh, yeah. That's where her majesty's from. And she was having this like realization. She's like, it's been 17 years. They are coming back. (laughs) It's like, what are you talking about? I still am like, where the hell did the murder hornets go? Have they just been like in and like, are they just waiting? Are they just waiting for us to all go outside again? Yeah, they're in uh, they're in like Cancelvania with the feral hogs, the 40 to 50 feral hogs. (laughs) They're all they're on that big, big menagerie in the sky. (laughs) Uh, Jamie, what's uh, where can people find you and follow you and support you? What's a tweet that you like? Uh, you can find me on Twitter.com at Jamie Loftus Help, Instagram, Jamie Christ Superstar. And I'll shout out, I guess, like, this is <laughs> the core message. It's, I'm going to shout out a series of Marianne Williamson tweets. Because uh, hey. last night she was just tweeting, tweeting, tweeting about birds, birds, birds. She was tweeting pic- pictures of birds and her thoughts on them. Uh, there's a, <laughs> I don't know anything about birds. I'm sure that there are a lot of serious bird issues. Uh, but she needs to collab she, with Katie Golden. I was about to say, I was like, Katie would know better than I would about the whole bird situation. But 
She, uh, I mean, Marianne, I, I feel like, you know, she really has been on a, a fun redemption arc. Uh, a pi- she attaches a picture of a gorgeous bird. Couldn't tell you more. Uh, it says, <laughs> I hate to have to tell you this, but industrialized farming has destroyed half of the world's bird population. How dare we? And that was just when she fired off at like 11 at night <laughs> from yeah. her mansion. I love that. Like in between talking about like whatever the imagine a world with no hunger and but birds i mean i wonder if she just like watches documentaries and she's like oh shit i gotta tweet about this you know about half the birds you seen sea spiracy yet Should've yeah she's she's gonna yeah she's gonna watch blackfish and be like guys what are we doing <laughs> what is what going are we on? doing what so are we doing the portilicum whatever <laughs> the name was of the that whale shout shout out to marianne and her her bird concerns Oh man, um, yeah. some tweets that I am enjoying. First one is from uh, Noah Garfinkel. At Noah Garfinkel, uh, tweeted, "Waited in line for four hours for a vaccine, and then when I got behind behind the privacy thing, they gave me a Lunchables and said, just eat this real fast. There's no virus. Do not try to get your vaccine at an abandoned Toys R Us.' <laughs> why that whole setup was so absurd. Another one, Sabrina at Sabrina Fawn." Uh, tweeted, every day, Megan McCain, daughter of a senator and heiress of the Anheuser-Busch fortune, goes on TV and tells Whoopi and Sonny, who both grew up in the projects, how elitist they are. So, love that one. Um, and then one more, um, Ian at Ian Paul Dukes tweets, quote, at least you're keeping busy, end quote. Yeah, I'd hate to be relaxing for one second. <laughs> Which is a thing we always, at least you're keeping busy. No, that's not always the thing that we need. So... Yeah, I felt that one. Uh, you can find me at Miles of Gray on Twitter and Instagram. And also my other podcast, 420 Day Fiance, talking 90 Day Fiance. Uh, and also you can check us out, The Daily Zeitgeist, uh, at Daily Zeitgeist on Twitter, at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post the episodes and our footnotes. Footnotes. Thank you. Uh, and, that's the, and that's where I was going to post the song that we're going to write out on. Uh, and the track that we're going to write out on today is another remix from Nick Bike, the man from Canada. But this one is Addiction, uh, Kanye West. And it's just like I got a good four on the floor house vibe to it. So, again, keep you keep you dancing. Um, and like we always say, this show is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts, check out the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast with that. That'll do it for today. Rather, we'll see you later in a few for some trends. Uh, but until then, we love you. Take care. And goodbye. Bye.